0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is David McGuire. And I am Eric Brickmont. And I am Brian Moriarty. We're sorry to interrupt your podcast this evening, but we've come to you with a very important message. Are you tired of hearing the squeaking of our chairs? Are you tired of hearing a distant echo in the background? Are you tired of hearing my lips
1: smack the moment before I talk?
0: I know I am, but you know how we can fix that? We need help from you. You see, Rome was not built in a day. It was built over many months, and also with lots of money. And lots of marble. We don't actually need the marble. No, we don't need it. It'd be nice, but... Okay, let's just stick to things that we actually need. Okay, sorry. Okay, thank Uh, you. Anyways, if you feel like you want to help us with our squeaking chairs or massive echo and Brian's incessant lip-smacking, please go to www.nerdonomy.com. Click on Donate, where your money will go to helping our Nerd Cave thrive
1: and helping Brian get over his speech impediment. And to go to our need for lots and lots of hot pockets. We must have the Hot Pockets.
0: Brian, welcome back. Oh, thanks. It's good to be back.
1: Why are you wearing roller skates? Uh, I'll tell you later. All right. Yeah, whatever. But long story short, Vatican trip, very interesting. Good. Did you bring me anything? I did. I did. Uh, One of my little stops I made, I found this great thing for the cave. It is the Crozier of Saint Isidore. Excellent. What the heck is that? And who is Saint. Isidore? It's a crook. It's oh, a, it's like a shepherd's crook. Oh, scary by bishops. Got it. yeah, Saint Isidore uh, is the patron saint of the internet.
0: oh, all right. well okay, that makes
1: perfect sense. They we're a podcast. there we're you on go. The internet. Well, there you go. Excellent. yeah, thank you very much. Um, did you know Saint Isidore had a brother who's also a saint is the patron saint of cross breezes. That is oddly specific. And his name was St. Window. Uh-huh. His parents were hippies. Oh. Okay.
0: <laughs>
1: welcome to Nerds on History. I am Brian Moriarty. And I am Eric Brickmont.
0: I'm back!
1: You are, and a, and a genuine welcome back to you, sir. Thank you very much. I am glad to be back. And also not glad you're back at the same time. I can understand that. How, yeah. was, uh, how was New York? New York. That's actually where I really was. Not the Vatican. Not being imprisoned by falling into the Pope's uh, Pope cave, apparently. Pope cave, man cave, either if Believe me, of anybody in our group, I would know if the Pope had a Pope cave. The Pope has no <laughs> such thing. Damn it. I wish he did, though. But the internet does because not that lie. would make sense for a place for the Pope phone, the Pope mobile, and the Pope signal to go. Good point mm mm-hmm. mm-hmm. see, I know these things i 'm Catholic so. <laughs> no, New York was fantastic, and I missed it already without going into explicit detail. I toured mostly um a good part of Manhattan and Brooklyn, and uh, we did go a little bit to Liberty Island as well for the statue and the museum didn 't make it to Ellis Island unfortunately because mm. uh, it 's a separate ticket you have to buy, but it 's actually part of the same National Park service did a ton of research for new statue of liberty i think we have a very interesting future episode of statue of liberty on our hands and i think we'll save that for july uh, when it's getting close to the anniversary of that so well,
0: i hope you and listeners don't take this the wrong way but i'm really glad that you went to the statue of liberty and not me
1: Yeah, because eric doesn't like boats i do so. not do boats though i could have probably given you a really strong sedative and i think you would have been able to, to how long did it take boat. to get there via boat the boat took maybe 10 minutes Oh, it's awful. Ten <laughs>
0: minutes—that's about how long it takes to get to Alcatraz. I've only been to Alcatraz once in my life. Yeah, I've probably never. It
1: is—it's very, very short. And in fact, you don't even—if you're talking to somebody, you don't even realize that it's, it's—it's happening.
0: Ugh, I'm getting—I'm getting nervous just thinking about it. I'm getting goosebumps. I don't like it. Okay, I hate boats. Hate, hate boats. And it's no, okay. I can't do boats. I'm sorry. All right. I'm glad you went. I'm glad you took photos. I'm glad you learned a lot. I would love to do an episode on the Statue of Liberty, but I will probably never see it in person okay well okay i take that back but from a distance from land okay yeah all right
1: i'll check out her hair or something to each to each their own just saying man sedatives they were wonders
0: yeah but i don't think they have a very specific 10 minute sedative
1: (laughs) Uh, chloroform maybe (laughs) like a light dose (laughs) i can't believe we're talking about the logistics of this and i took in a broadway show as well really yeah knowing me right so so unlike me yeah i know right And I think I'll probably talk about that on Nerds on Film, because it's a little more apropos to, uh, to that podcast. But anyway, we got some great feedback, and let's share it, huh? Let us do this.
0: This week in listener feedback. Alrighty, first piece of listener feedback. This comes from Elspeth, and Elspeth has to say... I adore you guys. That's the subject. I'd have to throw that out there first. I love that. Uh, we adore you, too. Hail, nerds. In the past month, I've been catching up on all the nerdonomy podcasts. You guys help me get through my sometimes boring, mostly stressful work days, and I always feel like I can learn something. I'm mostly caught up on nerds on history. I'll be flying through nerds on film once I'm done. Please do take occasional breaks to uh, to stop laughing. We don't want you to suffer from any kind of abdominal injury or, or choking or, or anything else that can result from listening to too much nerds on, on, on film at one time.
1: Because uh, you will bust your gut. Yeah, the more you do, the, there's an 80% chance that you uh, will tear something. Yes, yes. I had an idea for a, a show
0: for nerds on history, I think would be fantastic. It's big in the news now. And I've been following the story for a while, the history of the Romani, aka gypsy people. It is a long and harsh one and one that not many people know. I love you guys. And I think you would do the world good to do an episode on this. It'd mean a lot to the new but rabid listener. You will get this. I guarantee you. In fact, I was researching this on my own independently um, a couple of weeks ago because of obviously everything that's been in the news lately in regards to that young girl in in Greece. And I think it's an absolutely fascinating topic that we should definitely uh, approach. And I, I feel like the Romani or the Rom have just been treated so horribly throughout history and have such a bad rap. And there are so many who maybe unintentionally aid in these stereotypes and and discrimination and don't even realize they're doing it like the word is a really nasty word for for gypsies and it's 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 not okay
1: there's a lot of derogatory and prejudicial views toward gypsies and it's very misrepresentative of the people of the culture
0: yeah and they are, are a fascinating culture i mean they are so diverse they're probably one i think one of the most diverse cultures on the planet and they have spread out originally from india but 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 spreading out now across the globe. And I would love and, and dare say demand that we
1: cover this topic. I think you've even demanded that we make this our next episode. Let's do it. We're going to say it right now. We're going <clears> to <throat> make it the next episode. It'll be our next episode. There you have it. Fantastic. Anyway, she finishes
0: by saying, thanks for putting out these great podcasts every week. When I finally have money to spare, I'll donate towards that ceiling you so desperately need. Hope it's not too cold for you yet. Uh,
1: lots of love. We have a note coming to you through email that will say, yes, you've just promised that you're going to give us money at some point. We're going to hold you to that <laughs> with everything we can do, which is nothing at this point. But thank you. We appreciate that. And
0: you know what? If that ceiling doesn't come, don't worry. We have Snuggies in the works.
1: Uh, Michelle give us a nice piece of re- uh, repeat feedback. She gave us feedback about uh, the vampire episode. Oh, originally. Excellent. So, uh, it says, Dear Nerds on History, during your Ghosts episode, you mentioned how every living thing has an energy or an electrical force. I just wanted to share an interesting, slightly creepy phenomenon related to that. I put out streetlights. Strange, I know, but when I'm driving or out at night, in an uncommon amount of streetlights will shut off when I am near and then turn on again once I am past. So much so that many other people have commented on this. After so much research and odd internet forums, it turns out my personal energy force interferes with the energy of those in lights. Just thought I'd share. Maybe this means I'll be a ghost in the afterlife. I guess I'd better start deciding what awesome place I'd like to haunt. Michelle.
0: Well, Michelle, I'm going to request that you haunt during your life. Uh, the streets of San Jose, because as many of our listeners know, I frequent Lick Observatory as a volunteer, and the streetlights are a real problem down in San Jose. So if you can shut off as many of those as possible and help kill some of
1: yeah. light pollution, uh, I would be grateful. To the point where actually we have a different color of lights that's been required for all of our streetlights so that it doesn't contribute as heavily to the light pollution problem. Yeah, those are going away, though. Yeah. I'm um, not happy about that. The, what you're talking about is actually an, uh, a scientific phenomenon that is not just unique to you. There are some people whose every living thing has an electromagnetic pulse to it, um, just like every electronic device does. Uh, and it is definitely not common. But it, I have heard of other people who, because of their whatever bioelectric frequency, whatever you want to, term you want to use, um, have been able to short out circuits. Um, i've heard people doing it with light switches too interesting isn't it and thank you for sharing that indeed and maybe you will be this uh, awesome ghost and you know haunt our nerd cave because i think you sound friendly enough yeah i agree with that completely and uh, we don't need the lights on so it's fine yeah um we'll just podcast in the dark got another piece
0: of listener feedback here this one comes from sean wanted to uh to thank us for the entertaining past few months Uh, he's now caught up on nerds on film and nerds on history uh, he enjoys listening to us while he's cooking and driving, and uh, loves the banter, opinions, insights, and he appreciates it all. Uh, also, uh, very happy to to see that we are putting these podcasts out. Um, he's actually a, an English teacher, and he's got a, a full life with a wife and kids, and you know he's very much Mister Mom, and likes to live vicariously through us in many regards, and considers us to be kind of a uh, on par with Dan Carlin, which is quite a compliment. Uh, he does have a few critiques for us, and I'll say it, that's okay. We appreciate all listener feedback in all of its forms. Uh, I won't go into it verbatim, but I will just uh, address it briefly in regards to the to the comments that he makes towards us, and, and maybe a little clarification kind of around it, too. I agree I think, we're, that, yeah. I think where he comes to, uh, where, when he understands where we're coming from, then maybe he'll see it in a little bit of a different light he he does mention that you know we talk a lot about our backgrounds and interests and our passions with me it's you know uh, ancient egypt with sarah it's english and what have you and uh, we we talk about it often because many times and you said this the other day our our episodes are very much self-contained
1: yeah agreed so we make our podcasts in a way that we don't assume every listener is going to be able to hear every single episode. So we oftentimes do these self-references and these repeat references to get people uh, caught up with someone who may be listening for the first time or not heard some of our older episodes where we mentioned these things before. Yes,
0: Uh, thank you for for considering us on on par with Dan Carlin. I think the content we put out is also on par, but our listeners are not quite yet there. So we're getting lots of new listeners all the time, and this kind of helps them to understand a little bit of who we are. Uh, Also, Sir, Sir Brian...
1: I just wanted to mention, every
0: time I say sir to you, it's absolutely genuine.
1: And sir, you know what? I feel exactly the same way.
0: I honestly, I know I kind of say it a lot. And I, I, I say it because I say it to people I, I, I admire and I respect and I say it uh, quite honestly. So. I
1: do. Yeah, indeed. It's actually not uncommon for me to say people uh, sir and also madam, too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Why not? It's fine. Yeah. Uh, also, I just would like to remind our listeners that I find Sarah's laugh. Infectious, I love yeah, isn't it. Isn't it great? It is a good laugh. I love it. Just throwing it out there. Anyhow, he continues with, or he finishes, I should say, with suggestions for future shows uh, on film. Uh, he would like us to kind of assess uh, literary characters over the years in the movies, both uh, bad and good. And on history, would like a show about uh, vaudeville, film, or the history of
1: television. Uh, well, we've already kind of done the history of film, and we've done a little bit of the history of television as well. Uh television was our, believe, our second episode. Well, that was the history of the television. So
0: I wouldn't mind doing a history of of kind of broadcast television. Although we've covered game shows which were a part of that early have, history. And
1: we talked a little bit about the evolution of how television, I guess, is a medium, but also the cultural impact of television. So maybe we can go into specifics about certain shows, certain networks, There's sure. that things. Uh, vaudeville <laughs> being that I, you know, majored in theater and, and participate in theater so much, I would I would love to do an episode. On volvo it would require a little bit of research i think but um it'd be fun
0: yeah i agree uh he also would like us to finish by saying that uh, sean moriarty rocks and we all agree on that one
1: indeed sean is uh, a tremendous editor <laughs> uh, indeed sean is a tremendous editor and he makes us sound professional every week so we are forever indebted to his talents our next piece of feedback comes from joanne joanne actually won one of our social media trivia questions a couple weeks ago, and we never got to putting in her shout-out, and I am so sorry about that, but here we go. It was a question about the Shroud of Turin, and she got it right, and she was joking that her uh, Catholic school education would pay off someday, and sure enough, yes, it did. She likes to mention that she is an author of a novel which takes a satire chick-lit approach. That's chick-lit, not chicklets, as in the, the candy. Yeah, as in the gum. <laughs> yeah, approach to the story of Henry VIII's Six Wives and the Two Doors nerd species history nerd there you go that's what she's referring to herself as her book is on kindle giveaway through uh this is through late october and i forgot to mention it so we totally missed that i apologize um in honor of the world series and all the women out there who might want something to read while their uh significant others are watching the game oh that would have been so joanne i am so sorry because this would have been perfect feedback material for the world series but but um, you know what
0: you got the super bowl That's still ahead of you.
1: Her book is called Six of One, and it is available on Amazon.com. I think we have a potential future guest on this podcast, sir. That would be fantastic. I would absolutely love to have her on. Absolutely. So we'll talk to you about uh, scheduling. She's already contacted us. We'll figure out a time and place for that to take place. Great. Sounds
0: good. Yes, sir. Okay. Our last piece of listener feedback comes from some guy. And I'm not being rude. That's what he listed as his name. He's just some guy. Just some guy. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it says, a history quest. I would like to make a request on an area I feel is underrepresented, the ancient Greeks, but those outside of Greece itself, like in the Black Sea region and southern Italy. Most of what people talk about are Sparta and Athens or Alexander. Even other city-states in Greece proper uh, get a little coverage. Really, anything Hellenistic other than those three would be amazing. Thanks for the great show. Hope you rule the podcast world one day. All hail our nerd kings. Well, some guy, just that last piece alone has endeared you for the rest of my life. However, I think it's a great suggestion. I think it's a great topic. And I think that it's something that is definitely underrepresented because the Hellenistic world was very large and very overarching. You know, it went into a lot of other regions and had a really interesting influence and effect
1: on the people of those regions. And I think that would be a great topic and something very interesting to cover. I agree. I agree. Fantastic. That would be wonderful. And we really haven't talked much about the Greeks anyway, in general.
0: No, we haven't. I have a good friend, however, who's quite knowledgeable on the subject, who might want to come on for that episode. So I'll see if uh, she'd be interested. Cool. Before we finish up listener feedback today, however, I have a request to our listeners. If you are in the possession of antlers, be them deer or moose, or what really? have you. Yes, really? Yes. I, yes. I am right. doing this on the podcast. Please, if you're willing to part with them, I am looking for some. This is winter now. This is the time that they're going to start uh, shedding those. And uh, I have decided, Brian, I'm going to take up again flint napping and not that I like to take sleep on you know rock deposits out in the in the world. I, I, I actually am very interested in the construction of ancient tools. And uh, I think that the best way to do it is experimental archaeology. So you, you get the type of tools that they would have had back then, and you use them to create stone tools. And so I need antler in which to do that. Um, so if anyone is interested in, in donating their antler to me, uh, go ahead and message us on Facebook. And I'll provide you with an address that you can send those to. There you have it. Just throwing it out there. Thank you. <laughs> Nerds on history. <laughs> <laughs>
1: The only podcast that will request antlers of you. <laughs> you sound like a crazy person. I'm sorry. No offense. Just that's, like That's fine, because I, I am a crazy person. So I, 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 just, I just love it. Do you have antlers? <laughs> <laughs> I need antlers. But you've explained yourself, so really it's not that bad. Not that bad at all. Well, speaking of feedback, going back for a second, we had a listener who a couple months ago requested that we do an episode on Catholic saints. And we were going to line up with All Saints Day. Uh, As it turns out, I wanted to really enjoy my vacation, so um, I had Eric have Kevin come in last week, and we did a wonderful podcast on the history of the internet. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. It's really great. Thank you to Kevin again. I did want to make one small note, which was that um, SPAM, by the way, in case anyone's wondering, uh, stands for Solicited Pornography and Marketing. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Fine. It just happens to be named after something that's tasty. Yes, and we have... That would be a a great episode. I was talking with Kevin today about this. We should revisit with him back on because there's other things that I would love to talk about, like how um, the web browser may have actually had an early iteration that didn't actually come to fruition, and it would have been made by Apple. Apple almost invented Hmm. the web browser. Interesting. I know that. uh, Exactly. So tons of fun little factoids about the history of the Internet. And, of course, the browser wars of the late 90s, we didn't talk about that at all. Tons of good stuff that we can can go into. Um, And then talking a lot about the Web 2.0 technologies that really now make it what it is today. That'd be fun. That being said, let's um, get on with it. Let's talk about... Some holy people. Sounds so, good to me. Catholic saints. So for those who are not Catholic or of the Christian persuasion or of the persuasions of that follow the tradition of saints, uh, let's start with that. So the word saint, of course, is derived from the Latin word for something that is holy. There's the word sanctus. Um, saint is the more French spelling of that word. And it's been associated with many holy people throughout Christendom. Uh, not just in the Catholic faith, though. Of course, that is the one that is the most commonly associated with it. Hmm. There are saints in the Eastern Orthodoxy, as it makes sense because they're practically the same religion, right? <laughs> uh, in many respects, but also in the Anglican Church and in the Lutheran Church as hmm. well. And it kind of deviates out from there. There's some churches, like the Presbyterian Church, that choose to recognize early saints, um, but don't venerate any of them. Um, they just represent them because of their importance into the story of Christianity, like Saint John, uh, like Saint John the Baptist, probably yes. Uh, saint John, probably the evangelist as well, and most of the ones that are like directly associated with the apostles or the evangelists, people who wrote the Bible. So, but what qualifies as a saint? Right. Well, when we were talking about the papacy months ago, we talked about the communion of saints, and as far as Catholicism is concerned, the communion of saints is all the faithful, whether they are living or they are dead. Nice. so everyone has the potential to be a part of the communion of saints. Someone who the church views as a saint is someone who they formally recognize as a soul who is in heaven because um, in the the metaphysics of Catholicism you have you know when you die, you more than likely go to purgatory because you know we're not all perfect so we have some cleansing to have done on our souls before we can enter heaven. Um, sin is not allowed to be present in heaven at all. We are saying that these are people who lived such good lives that were lived in such devotion to God and His works that we cannot even fathom the idea that they are not in heaven.
0: So they just they skip purgatory, they go straight up to heaven. They pass go. They collect two hundred dollars.
1: Correct. Fantastic. Spiritually speaking, and pretty much the idea behind this has always been around. I want to go as far as to say it goes back two thousand years to the early church. Um, however, the formal recognition of saints didn't happen until. the year 993. Pope John the 15th, who in nine ninety three canonized, looks like it was the Bishop Ulrich of Augsburg. And to be perfectly honest, though, the idea of honoring saints and having these, uh, what they called, cults that are devoted to these saints already existed. Mm. This is the first time the church formally recognized the validity of a saint. Interesting. There are Tons of saints that arise from the lives of the martyrs, early martyrs of Christianity. Um, tons of legends. I mean, there's the famous ones of Saint George, of course, you know, who slayed dragons. You no, know, some of these were folklore that were so deeply woven into the storytelling of Christianity. Why do people look to the stories of saints and honor saints? Well, it's because of really just and, and it's there there are there are our heroes, right? They're the people who we we admire and we look as their example to. Not unlike any Role model that's in a culture. Uh, and in fact, we'll talk about this a little bit later. There are tons of other cultures that have the equivalent of saints that I would also say are saints that are, have nothing to do with Christianity. Well, sure. As well, I mean, you look
0: at cultures around the world and you look at the existence of polytheism, right? You have all these different gods, and many times they have different mythologies and stories that tell, uh, you know, have a meaning behind them all. And in a monotheistic religion where you have a, a centralized supreme being, you have to have other players in that. It's not a pantheon but equivalent to that
1: right it's funny that you say that because even in references i made and research i'd made uh with the catholic encyclopedia they refer to the term pantheon as well but not in the respect that you're talking about right Right. there's a pantheon of, of gods not at all.
0: No, but it, but it is a grouping of individuals, right, that are key and essential to the belief system of somebody. And it doesn't have to be a god. They can be associated in different fashions. Correct. Like these saints.
1: There's a pantheon in Buddhism. Um, there's certain forms of Buddhism have, we use the term gods to represent them, but they're the different aspects of the Buddha. Exactly. Exactly. And if you accept that all these
0: saints, in the religious tradition anyway, are playing out a role set forth by them by God, essentially, then they're all aspects of God.
1: Yeah. And there have been a lot of people who have written extensive works on the validity of saints. St. Thomas Aquinas, I believe, did it. I believe St. Augustine also did it. Ironically, of course, they themselves considered saints. And there's a lot of also debate within Christianity of whether saints are truly a Christian concept and not a Roman projection of paganism on Christianity. And that really is what separates uh, a lot of the Catholic tradition from the Protestant you, you look at all the podcasts that we did in the previous month right yeah
0: and we kept kind of tying them all back to pagan traditions being influenced by christianity and vice versa so they're interwoven with one another they're they're a part of each other and acknowledging the existence of saints as part of that is in no way shape or form sacrilegious i think i think that that makes sense it all just shows that the people are all so closely connected yeah. and tied together so i don't i don't think that that's a, a bad approach i think that no matter what you believe, right? Whether you believe in the actual miracles that were performed, or, or said to have been performed, or what have you, the fact that these saints, regardless, are tying a unifying force that they bring communities together. I think that's where the true strength lay in, in these individuals. Indeed, at least from the non-Catholic perspective, right? So, so being the outsider looking in on it, that's that's really what I see. Yeah. I see a community building, and like you said, many of these individuals were already kind of. Members of folklore and local
1: legends, and again, were being validified by the church. Well, they were part of the church. The church was so pervasive at this point in time; it was the containers of all of all culture, essentially. So, sure. I, well, but what I'm saying is that these individuals
0: in these that were very more mythological or, or legendary, right? Obviously, had an origin somewhere, and probably had a pre-Christian origin in pagan traditions. And now we're being brought in, and not unlike how. Uh, the traditions around Christmas were introduced into the church. And so the, and the your, traditions your around theory Mitros. is
1: that these were legends that were projected upon the lives of these saints to, in order to create...
0: Some of them, because we're you know. talking about over 10,000 named individuals, right? We're talking about a lot of saints who have... Even fallen away, who have been forgotten about in many regards, who maybe or were who never recorded have been taken properly.
1: off the official list. Yeah, yeah,
0: I'm sure a lot of those earliest saints were influenced heavily, or their legends were yeah. influenced heavily by pre-Christian traditions.
1: Yeah, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that there's no other historical evidence that you can use to validate the stories behind them. Right. Not like
0: slaying dragons.
1: Yeah. I'm not, sorry. There's not a lot of historical... Sure, but also the term dragon may also be, you know, a word that was used to describe just a large reptile. We talked about Komodo dragons, right, back in the cryptozoology episode. So you're, you're telling me that a Komodo dragon traveled to Florence. No, 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 not at all. I'm just trying to, to make an example here, okay? For all we know, you know, Florence is in the Mediterranean, maybe a crocodile was what what it slayed, a crocodile that happened to be on land. Okay. Just throwing the idea okay. out there. I think we both agree there are points in times where legend, of course, becomes exaggerated off of real occurrences. Sure, right? Absolutely. So almost who, all legends are born out of some
0: form of reality. That's what. That's all I'm saying. I know. I'm just. So, I'm just giving you a hard time because I.
1: I think it would be funny
0: to imagine a. Well, I like to do them about Egypt, Eric. So you know what? Slow your roll. <laughs> <laughs> we're nerds. I don't think we're cool enough to use terms like that. You better retract
1: that. <laughs> Sorry. What should I say? Something nerdier. Yeah. Like.
0: Get off your tauntaun, okay. Get off your ta. Get off your tauntaun.
1: <laughs> there you go. It's actually pretty well done. I will say, I tip my nerd hat to you. Thank you. Um, we've talked about what validates a saint, or what we what we acknowledge as a saint. So I think what maybe again as an outsider,
0: right, being just very briefly introduced to to Catholic traditions, and you know, I was baptized about as far as it got. What are the qualifications to become a saint?
1: Because that's something that I'm kind of confused on, because there are lots of different things yeah. thrown around, but but what do you have to have to become a saint? So, most of the time, you have to, and I say that all these is because there's always exceptions to the sure. rules, okay? Most of the time, you have to be Catholic. Interesting. And I'll explain what some of the few exceptions to that rule are, okay? Most of the time, you have to perform at least two miracles. At least two, okay? At least two. Because just one is po- possibly coincidental? Correct. So, here's the process behind that. I don't know, I can't say I can explain the justification for why these rules are in place, but there is a justification for these rules. Obviously, if you are a follower of the church and follower of God's teachings, you are going to be a Catholic. The exceptions to those rules are usually with those in regards to the Holy Family. St. Joseph, for example, never lived beyond Jesus becoming a man. In fact, we mostly accept the fact that he probably died when Jesus was a teenager, more than likely. Um, We don't know for sure. Uh, St. Anne, who is Mary's mother, is also recognized as a saint, a woman who never lived to see Jesus become a man, uh, and never understood the, his his teachings as as they were. They are recognized as saints because of the role they played in the development of Jesus,
0: even though they were essentially existing pre Christianity.
1: They were they were practicing Jews, if, you know, if you want to get realistic, right? But because of the importance of the life of life of Jesus, the church acknowledges that all those people who played such a seminal role in his ministry or helping develop him as a human being are automatically uh, venerated because of their place in that, you know, in the faith, basically. So um, that's why I say the exception is you, most time you have to be Catholic, because by modern standards, it's almost impossible for someone who is non-Catholic to be considered a saint. Uh, it would be a miracle, ironically, <laughs> if that were to be the case. <laughs> so where do the two miracles come from? The two miracles come from, so if we believe that you live a life of holiness, that you can do wonderful acts. Um, That's where the validation comes from. More importantly, there is this idea of mediatorship. And this is also the single point where Protestants will take issue with the idea of saints even existing, let alone uh, venerating them. They'll even say as far as going as to worship, and I'll I'll talk about that in a second. So um, Christ is the mediator between humanity and God the Father. That is the, the essential belief in Christianity. You pray to Jesus, and Jesus of course, the Holy Spirit as well, they have the ability to interact with with us and intercede and, you know, in, into our lives and answer our prayers. The miracle can be attributed to a saint by either the saint being able to perform a wonderful act by displaying that mediatorship, in other words, praying to Jesus, or um, they posthumously have given, been able to intercede on God's behalf.
0: Mm, okay. Yeah. And that <laughs> seems a little suspicious to me. Why does it seem suspicious? Okay, you got one great miracle, right? Mm-hmm. That's all this person had time for. Maybe they died performing it. Maybe they were martyred. Maybe for whatever reason, right, they just never got around to that second miracle. wasn't in them. But now they've died and something else has happened that was super, which was great. Maybe a Many river scenes, you know, was yeah. diverted and, and didn't. Wipe out a whole town that that person was from, They're, and so now they can say, "Oh, that was his or her spirit that came in and protected the city, and therefore that's the second miracle."
1: There's your sainthood. Sure, there are many saints who whose miracles have been attributed to them while they were living as well. So a lot of that been covered. The posthumous uh, ones are, if we again, if we acknowledge that there is a communion of saints of souls who exist living and dead, it is not outside of that string of logic for those things to take place. A um, good example of that is Mother Teresa, right? Mother Teresa, now she's not a saint yet. She's, uh, she's beatified, so she is referred to as Blessed Mother Teresa. Uh, late Pope John Paul II, who uh, is currently blessed but has been approved for sainthood, which is unprecedented. We've never had a person between death and canonization happen so quickly because it's been less than 10 years Usually it's at least that before they even consider uh, to start investigating into that person's life. So um, that's part of the process, number one. Someone within the church has to open up a request within the Roman Curia, within the the organizations of of Rome, of the Vatican, to investigate into the life of this person and validate that these miracles took place or that see if miracles had been been attributed to this person. There are uh, people who are in this church who are extremely skeptical and look for all possible scientific explanations for these phenomenon taking place before they will say, they have to rule out all possible scientific findings and then say, okay, we acknowledge this is a miracle. So the church is actually using science to to be the devil's advocate, is in, in a way. Uh, ironically. Ironically, of uh, these um, taking place. So once you have uh, one miracle put in place, then you are, uh, once we can validate that, then you are beatified. Then you are referred to as blessed. Once they can validate the second miracle, then you are approved for canonization, which is what formally recognizes you as a saint.
0: So are we waiting... Well, you mentioned that Mother Teresa, I'm assuming the second miracle hasn't been performed. So is the... Th- second th- miracle hasn't
1: been validated. Validated. So yeah. what is the first miracle that has been validated? Um With both John Paul and, I believe, Mother Teresa, I believe it was praying for their help. And uh, it was healing of the sick, I believe, was was the the miracle that took place. Does it need to be a specific instance? Yes, there's a specific documented instance that that took place. Um, One specific case in which a person acknowledges and wrote to the church about this occurrence taking place. Um, And then they had people do some investigations and look very deeply into the occurrences of that event. I do recognize that with something so deeply metaphysical, there is definitely room for skepticism to fester. As with anything religious, it is an act of, is a leap of faith. So, you know, if you are not one to subscribe to that spirituality, uh, or that school of spirituality, I should say, then it's not going to make sense. But for many people, this is a very deeply religious feeling to them. And in the cases of, of Mother Teresa and John Paul, there are people who are whose lives have been improved because of it, as well as many of the other saints. And there are saints who we, we believe, they acknowledge, who intercession happens even after their canonization, too. It's not like it stops. The idea behind it is that the Church feels that the saints enhance the mediatorship of Christ. They don't replace it. and um, It is uh, they are also calling upon Christ, calling upon God to intercede. So. That's kind of the long answer to to how someone <laughs> becomes a saint, but it's also um, the essential. I've been kind of answering two questions at once. There's that, but there's also the why do some Protestants not acknowledge saints, and what why did Catholics acknowledge that these people are uh, their sainthood is is validated? There's also this a misconception I think I really want to clarify here, which is that um, there are some out there who believe that Catholics worship saints, and um, it is definitely that is definitely not the case. There are definitely, you know, prayers that are done to a saint or asking again for a saint's intercession. There are definitely, uh, you can raise, you know, they have relics that are, are attributed to a saint. Either they're from the saint directly or they are uh, like a picture of the saint or a statuette of the saint. You know, not unlike what we do with Jesus or anything else. Um, but we, we fully acknowledge that those are more or less, they're not, they're not a false idol. They're not a replacement of God at all. It goes back to that communion.
0: Well, I mean, I, I I can see where that misconception can kind of come from, though, because there are certain parts, particularly in Italy, where where saints are very, very, very important, and I think it comes back to community, right? So it comes back to the community ties and the binding that these saints have to those individuals and their connection to their faith. Sure, a lot so, of these, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't go ever as far to say that uh, these saints are are more important to those people than you know the larger overarching themes of the religion, right? But I would definitely say that they're important to that community and to the binding of that community and to its connection to the religion. So it's understandable how some people can see it that way. But when you really look at
1: it, though, you, you really see that it's more about community than anything. And then we also have to talk about, with that, we're talking about patron saints, right? Not every saint is a patron saint of something. So to become a patron saint, um, it's really more or less an attribution to a location that they uh, live their ministry upon or an act that is attributed to their life. Great example, no shock. Um, saint Genesius is the patron saint of actors. And he was an actor who was playing someone who was mocking Christians. He had a moment of uh, remorse, and on stage uh, in a play that was mocking Christians, the character he was playing was baptized, and he became a baptized Christian. When the Romans were not too happy with that, they beheaded him. So he was martyred, essentially.
0: Seems to be an overarching theme with a lot of
1: saints. Yes. And martyrs, by the way, martyrdom, dying for your faith, is uh, is the exception to one of the miracles. So, Oh, okay. Well, there you go. There, That's how you get
0: in, in a sense, right? Because <laughs> you got the one miracle. If you don't have it under your belt, well, there you go. Martyrdom will automatically get you beatified. Yes. Okay. But- it makes sense. There's a lot of saints, and I've noticed that as being an overarching theme. Though, that there are a lot of saints who 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 died in very tragic ways, who died in the belief of their faith, sure. right? And there are some who died in, in really just pretty terrifying fashion. So it, it makes sense then that you've got um, you've got that as being one of those kind of exceptions. Because right. if you're going to go to that leap, right? If you're going to go to that that extreme, obviously you're not going to have any other opportunities in your life to. To be able to to do a miracle. So sure. That makes sense that you would be able to. Uh, right.
1: Um, to use that. As far as like why, so, a good example, I'll bring it back to my heritage, Ireland. Um, Ireland has three patron saints. We all know St. Patrick because that's the most you know, easily associated one. So there's actually two more St. Columba and St. Bridget. St. Columbo? St. Columba. Oh, sorry. Columba. Come on. <laughs> yeah. That was funny.
0: St. Columbo, patron saint of detectives. <laughs> Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I Oh, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow. So, that's an example of patron saints being attributed to um, just, again, where, where they Christianized, where they, where they spread Christianity to. Uh, at the time where they were all working through Ireland, Ireland was largely still following uh, pagan traditions, so that's why they are attributed to that. Let's talk about All Saints Day for a second.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that the because obviously that's what's kind of spurred
1: the conversation on saints, right? Is the connection with the with this time of year. Indeed. So for those who don't know, uh, November 1st was All Saints Day, which is also where we talked about in our Curse of the Podcast episode where Halloween comes from, right? The vigil of All Saints Day was All Hallows' Eve, All Hallows' Evening, Halloween. You guys got the idea. Of course, we talked about all those traditions there. We won't repeat those here. But basically, the pagan traditions of Samhain were were merged with the recognition of all saints uh, within the church. And it was Gregory the Third in the 8th century who made a chapel to all saints in St. Saint Peter's Basilica that was meant for all saints. Um, before that, though, uh, as early as the 4th century—I'm uh, sorry, not 4th century—7th uh, century, Pope Boniface IV officially consecrated the idea of—we're the. We're talking about the Pantheon, we're talking about um, the martyrs and the Virgin Mary— and of course, the Virgin Mary is also a saint, but she actually is even above that. She has her own feast days that are considered Marian feasts. They're not even considered saint feast days. So she's kind of like a super saint <laughs> because of her role in, of course, her intimate relationship with her son, right? So, um,
0: I mean, come on, you got to give her at least some special attention.
1: Exactly, right? Uh, what was it, the joke what, that Robin Williams said? Is that people, some people argue Jesus was, <laughs> was not Jewish? Of course he was. Thirty years old, living at home, living t- living in his father's or uh, taking up his father's trade. His mother thinks he's a gift from God. Are you kidding me? <laughs> uh, great cultural joke. As I was saying, in seventh century, Boniface the Fourth recognized, you know, uh, in Rome, that they're you know within the worship of Rome that yes, the, the martyrs and the Blessed Virgin were considered uh, okay to to venerate. In Gregory Gregory the Third makes a chapel a couple hundred years later, within a hundred years or so of that taking place. So that there is a place for that veneration to take place. Then, finally, the final piece falls in in the ninth century with Gregory the Fourth, who uh, opens up the idea that this is available for the entire church, hmm. and was the person who said the celebration should take place on November first. So, why that time of year? Why that date? Well, I think it makes sense because since Gregory the Third was known as the great kind of merger of traditions. You know, he's largely responsible for a lot of holidays that we, mm-hmm. that we see. Like, we talked about his connections with Christmas. We talked about his connections with Halloween as well. If you think about it, you know, we're talking about changing the seasons, right? Right. Remember, first is the—it's not quite the autumnal equinox, but it's close to the autumnal equinox. Well, it's a little after. A little bit after, yeah. But but, but it does mark the, the pretty much the end of harvest, right? So end or around
0: the end of harvest. So here they've spent all this time now harvesting all this great food you know, in many cultures in this latitude, right, that was the time in which in which to do it. So absolutely, I mean I, I see the connection
1: there. Well let's not forget the spin off of this holiday. Uh Al Dio de Nemos Muertos, right? That's absolutely the day of the dead. Right. And I think Eric, given your background and your family, <laughs> let's My uh, adopted culture. Your adopted culture indeed. Why don't you share a little bit about that?
0: Well being that I am I am an honorary Mexican. That's why I refer to myself as. My my in laws would agree with that. Well, being that I grew up in the Bay Area, really, I've I've been exposed to many different cultures and many different traditions around this time of year, including the Day of the Dead. And this is something, particularly in San Jose, you and I both. I mean, growing up in school, um, the various parades and other activities that kind of go on in the Bay Area, it's it's very much there. And I think that we connect it more so with Halloween, right? Because we see a lot of the imagery and the iconography of the actual, and particularly holiday. the skull,
1: the skull and the skeleton, will- right designs yes and
0: then we kind of tie that into halloween when in reality it's it, it is the uh, celebration of all saints day in mexico it's just the way that the the culture of the indigenous people merged with the with the traditions right. of the christians who came in during the the and colonial
1: the los muertos takes place november 1st as well right or is it november 2nd technically it actually starts on all
0: hallows eve so it starts on the 31st and that is when um the altars are are to be built mm-hmm. so let, let, let's explain a little bit of a difference between this tradition in Central America and in South America so essentially sure. Latin America and it's difference between its European counterpart because the the feasting right the, that key element of that is still very much there uh, in Mexico however there's much more connection with the celebration of your deceased loved ones and the celebration of the Blessed Virgin Mary mm-hmm. so this is something where you find this fascinating, Merger of of cultures into this really colorful, very beautiful example uh, that has become this holiday. So when you look at um, the tradition of the altar and the tra- tradition of the skulls in particular, these are all pre-Columbian. These are all Aztec essentially holdovers that are they're still around. Okay. Uh, Aztec traditions felt that the the skull itself was very important, very special, and keeping the skull is, if you will, kind of a trophy was not just to show off that you had defeated an enemy in battle, but was also to celebrate the fact that life and death are very keen and important, and uh, the skull would be brought out during
1: ceremonies that were sure. uh, very much associated with, with this time of year, in fact. Which would also make sense to why there's uh, decoration, like decorating the skull, because I, I, one of the things I find fascinating is the painting of the faces. that takes place in Dia de los Muertos, and it's essentially a skull design, but it's got these other accents to it that make it much more ornate.
0: Well, some of that actually has more to do with political propaganda uh, than, than anything. Really? Yeah, yeah, I'll get to that in a minute, which is just, just fascinating. Okay. But the, the, the core image of the skull, though, um, like I said, it's very much a holdover from, from Aztec times. And the Aztecs had a, a female deity um, who was associated as that goddess of death. And her celebration was right around uh, late August so you can see that there was not too much of a difference in terms of time between these, these two you know holidays, one held by the indigenous people, the others by the conquerors who were coming in. So as we've seen with Christmas and many other holidays, here's a, a, a merger of the two, and they were just a more A more cult, subcultural merger, yeah. Right, and and that importance, though, of worshipping the deceased and calling them back and being able to take care of them and essentially remembering them and thus giving them life again uh, is very, 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 very pre-Columbian, but so perfectly mirrors the traditions in the in the Christian tradition that they were meant right. to be. They
1: well, were really meant to we, be. We were talking about with with ghosts too, or I believe that the ancestor worship is is very prominent in this part of the world, so it doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. that this would uh, be a, a very major event for them. So that the tradition of the altar,
0: again, is a holdover from, from Aztec times and is still meant to display the, the deceased loved ones on the altar. Candles are burned. Uh, incense is burned. And before the altar is oftentimes brought items that were favorited by those individuals uh, in hopes of kind of encouraging their souls to come back and, and partake in of that. Of course, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And this is a time really of celebration. You know, you, you think about it, and it seems kind of morbid having all these parades and all these fun activities going on, but it was really just all about celebrating these individuals' lives. And in some parts of Mexico, it's actually tradition to write funny poems about them, talking about, you know, maybe some of their favorite jokes or some of the things that they enjoyed doing or interesting some of the more silly aspects of their personality. So it is very much more, um, not very morbid, but much more positive and it's much, much more joyous.
1: More, yeah, it's a yeah. celebration of the life of that person.
0: And and also the maintaining of that memory. So that involves going out to the graveyard. It involves cleaning off the gravestone and mending and, and taking care of the, the actual site itself. There are
1: flat-out celebrations that take place at the cemetery. Yeah, food is brought out. There's music that's played. There's dancing that says "saco, saco, saco, saco." Yeah,
0: picnics are oftentimes yeah. held,
1: and uh, it's it's a time that
0: they want to re- remember everybody. So on the first day, November first, is actually reserved for children, and a lot of people don't realize that they they don't make that connection. But that is the the time of the uh, the day of the innocents or the day of the little angels is what it's called, and where all the babies and children are remembered. And many times, toy sales in Mexico skyrocket a couple of days before that because they're they're purchasing little gifts and toys to be to be left uh, for the deceased children. Uh, then you have the day after, which is for the adults essentially, for the day of the dead.
1: So this is November second, then we're talking about this is November second, that's gotcha. right. Gotcha. Which in uh, Catholic church would be considered All Souls Day. So That's right. So All yeah. Saints
0: Day would be on the first, which is when, like I said, the children are celebrated and All Souls Day is when
1: Correct. The, and these the, are not the mutually exclusive general. holidays, of course. It's not uncommon for these to be celebrated both at the same time. Oh,
0: sure. They all overlap. Yeah. Um, some people, because of scheduling or because it's the only time they can get all their family together, will celebrate this on just a single day. Uh, but it is a national holiday in Mexico, so it's not uncommon to have altars set up in even government offices, right? They don't have the religious symbolism included along with the altar for, you know, reasons of separation between religion and state, but they definitely... Uh, herald to the tradition, and they allow people to be able to express that. Because culturally, it's extremely important to the people of Mexico. Of course. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's, it's a fun time, though. You know, people, they make specific kinds of bread, and uh, the, the beautiful gold marigolds are brought out, um, and they can be seen all over the place, and children are given fruit and nuts, and they even kind of go on a kind of trick-or-treating, if you will, on the 31st, uh, but they get money. Instead of candy. So they, get, they just get handed out pesos when they go from
1: doors to door. That's a lot better than candy for me. I would, I would love to do that kind of treat. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds pretty sweet, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. Totally does. What I find
0: fascinating, though, and you mentioned the ornate design of many of the uh, costumes and decorations that relate to the skull. And the, the mock-up skulls that are made, too. Exactly, yeah. Right. And more than anything, you have these, this very iconic imagery of a woman right with this kind of floral hat and arrangement on her head and she's a skull wearing this beautiful uh this beautiful dress that all started as a bit of uh, propaganda and this was right during Diaz's uh, reign in Mexico. So if you listen back to our two-parter on uh, on a brief history of Mexico, we talked a little bit about um, Diaz and and the hardship and and difficult times that people were going through in, in Mexico uh, right at the turn of the last century, right? So 1910, 1913, and in those times pre-Revolution. And there was a, a very famous cartoon illustrator. Uh, his name is José Guadalupe Posoda. And Posoda produced this... Uh, this image of a, of a skull, of a, of a skeleton, wearing very European dress at the time, kind of fancy European dress. And it was meant to be kind of mocking to those individuals who were so heavily embracing European traditions and forgetting about kind of their indigenous, indigenous roots. But what it ended up being absorbed into was the tradition surrounding around the Day of the Dead. Uh, and, and it's fascinating because now it's kind of changed, whereas it, it was meant to be somewhat insulting originally. Now it's just become iconic of the merger of those two cultures and the reflection that through this very important holiday. Sure, as it oftentimes does.
1: That's really cool, you know. I wish that we had, in America, a more unified way of recognizing our dead. And, and we do kind of. We have Memorial Day, but that's for our soldiers, right? But I guess we're a culture that, that venerates those who have served for the greater good and have fallen.
0: One last note, though, I want to make on it. The tradition of the Day of the Dead became so unique and, and such a had such a strong cultural um, glue, if you will, that when Mexico, uh, under the new Spanish Empire, was essentially the governor and, and uh, ruler of the Philippines, you found that this tradition crossed over into the Philippines where it's still practiced today. So uh, they tra- treat it more as all saints day as opposed to the day of the dead, but they do use the, both terminology uh, interchangeably in the Philippines and the tradition of going to the grave sites and having f- meals
1: and feasts there uh, is just as strong in the Philippines as it is in Mexico. Oh, very cool. I mean, it's no surprise again, because knowing how far reaching Spanish uh, rule was in Spanish culture it makes sense. It's kind of a reverse though. It kind of went from Mexico and then kind of doubled back <laughs> through. Kind so. of jumping
0: along the pond. Yeah, yeah, Exactly. So we've talked a lot about how in Latin America, the tradition of the Day of the Dead is still very much alive, right? And it ties directly into All Saints Day, and it's a very noticeable holiday. It's a very noticeable tradition. But what about Europe? Because it seems like quite a while ago, a long time ago, it was um, a more recognized, more popular, more um, visible holiday.
1: But what has it kind of evolved into now? Well, in Catholicism, the Day of All Saints is actually considered a day of holy obligation. So days of holy obligation mean that aside from your normal weekly uh, sacrifice of going to Mass, um, you must also make time of your day to go to church in this case. So in countries that are predominantly Catholic, you'll notice that there's that is definitely a, a major tradition. As far as everything that I, I understand, and this may just, I could be wrong, um, that's pretty much how a lot of the feast days are treated as, as they're, you go to church, you take your time to res- to respect that and then you kind of just you move on with your day and you've even said so like you see that within like the philippines we've got those traditions that are specialized it's more the merger you're talking about but yeah I, i think that in some ways it's still
0: also kind of alive in in parts of europe so you know france hungary italy luxembourg all these locations spain obviously um it's still very much a tradition on on all saints day to to go and um you know, leave uh, flowers at the graves of, of relatives, um, light candles. It's maybe not as celebrated, if you will. It's not as big a, as, a, as a holiday as it is in Latin America. Uh, but it's still very much observed, I think, just on a, maybe a bit yeah. of a smaller
1: scale. And I think within the Catholics in, in America, that is still done. Um, it may not be done as much on that day. I know that within my family, when we've had relatives who were trying to, to honor the memory, it's more closer to the, the anniversary of their death, uh, or maybe even their birthday, that we do it, unless mm-hmm. less about the one day of the year. So, I see the same same act, but just in, in a different increment of time. Yeah. What I also find interesting about saints is, we were kind of hinting at it before, though, is that the word saint, no, all we the one thing i think we can say is universal race is someone who is considered holy and i would like to take just a brief bit of time and talk about the cultural parallels of saints in other religions that are you know of course that are non-christian related right um we've talked about christian saints we've talked about the protestants understanding of saints to a degree most protestants will agree that it's the early saints that they'll talk about again not the the more modern saints mormons They believe that anybody who is committed to baptism in their faith is considered a saint, which actually goes back to the ancient idea of a saint, that someone is living or dead. But what about Judaism? Judaism has has an equivalent. What about Buddhism and Hinduism? They all have equivalents.
0: Sure. I think with Buddhism in particular, it's a little bit more closely connected uh, in parallel to the to the Catholic tradition, right? Generally, those who are considered to be sainted or, or saintly-type individuals are those who are dead. And in Buddhism, it's those who have achieved nirvana. It's those who are much like the Buddha, who have moved and transitioned and do no longer require reincarnation to kind of achieve that goal. They're at that point. So kind of how you talked about saints are the ones who can avoid purgatory, who can just go straight into heaven. Um, these are kind of the same individuals. Uh, In Buddhism, it's the Arats. It's different, though, from different cultures who practice Buddhism, because, you know, as we know, as, as Christianity changes, as many different cultures kind of practice it, Buddhism is no different. And there are some who very early in Buddhism's history did not see these individuals, the Arats, as being quite on the same level as the Buddha's. Um, They were still considered to be fallible. They were still considered to be people who were not quite as pure as the Buddha, but they
1: had achieved, nonetheless, a a state of nirvana. Yeah, and that's a big parallel with a lot of the lives of these Christian saints, because a lot of these are people who had bad things about them, who had a moment of redemption, right? And right. They were called and they realized that their higher calling was to be a, a better person. Yeah. yeah.
0: And, and there's certainly no particular sect within Buddhism that recognizes all of these different individuals. There's nothing uniform, right? There's no canonization. Uh, and that's also very true in Hinduism. So Hinduism, obviously, uh, which is so very deeply connected with Buddhism, uh, also has a, a process by which these individuals are considered to be... Very important uh, religious individuals, right above the the standard, uh, but they can also be individuals, both men and women, who are alive. The guru, for example, is equivalent saint in the, in the Hindu tradition, uh, and there's many different individuals in Hinduism and uh, the many very different forms of Hinduism as it tra- you know travels and is practiced around different cultural groups within India uh, and the surrounding regions which which also tend to take on that tradition. Uh, the Sat, for example, of northern India, which is more connected with with Sikhism, right? So the Sat is also considered to be a, a very important individual. In terms of Judaism, I don't have a whole lot. There is a term, uh, Satic, which means righteous, uh, which can be associated with, with certain individuals. Perhaps not as characteristic as a saint, as those other examples might be, and as it is in, in the Christian faith. But particularly in Hasidic Judaism, then you you see a little bit more of certain individuals um, who are very central and very important, uh, who have a lasting contribution, if you will, and they're they're kind of – they kind of have an elite kind of mysticism about them, if you will. So, they they still permeate through people's memories. They're still spoken about. They, you know, obviously contributed in some form, whether it be literature or or an act that they perform themselves. Sure. Um, So, in some way, they are, again – They live
1: on to their example. Yeah, but they're perhaps not –
0: um celebrated sure. as,
1: as much as as saints would be in in some other cultures and christian yeah they're just they're remembered in the circumstances that's relevant to them it's they're not celebrated necessarily exactly um it is a very big thing in judaism during yom kippur the day of atonement um it's not uncommon for you to light a candle for those loved ones that have have passed and, and remember and you say a prayer in remembrance of them i think i might have even mention that on the curse of the podcast um but i, I think it bears repeating because it's the same idea right you you remember those who had a g- good example in your life uh, what i did find interesting is uh the african-based religions from the from the in the caribbean you no know, like you know we're talking about santeria we talk about voodoo uh from heat from haiti these are uh these more african-based religions that have adopted some of the symbolism of catholic saints to them.
0: Yeah, the imagery
1: yeah. very much so, but
0: they've adopted them to their own traditional beliefs and customs and more or less replaced those
1: saints with just whatever their own spirits and deities are. Exactly. Yeah. It's just
0: the image that's kind of still the remnant that's still around.
1: Yes. So I just think it's kind of an interesting distortion of uh, sainthood with that. It's not really a distortion at all. It's when you see the, this, the imagery of one religion being used toward another. Just, is a very fascinating way of how that can be flipped around and it's one that's practiced in I mean, it's still practiced to this day if I'm not mistaken sure yeah very prominent I'm gonna make one small appeal to our listeners who maybe are not of the Catholic persuasion a fun little assignment go to Google and type in patron saint of and then put in whatever action that you think uh, that was the, is appropriate uh, and see what comes up because there are so many patron saints of uh Different things, and there are various history. Saint Isidore, by the way, from our cold open, is in fact the patron saint of the internet, and there's a fascinating story behind why that is. uh, Even though that he lived well before the dawn of the internet, there's the patron saint of television. My favorite is the patron saint of parking spaces. Mostly because of the irony that his name is Saint Otto. So,
0: um, <laughs> well, I'm disappointed. Being one of those non-Catholic listeners, I, I typed in
1: patron saint of air freshener, and there's nothing. Yeah, that is a window joke. Was 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 a joke. There's no saint is a window. Damn.
0: <laughs> you know, we um, could use a good cross breeze in here in in the summer. Yeah, I'm just there saying.
1: is. I mean, there's so many out there, various and sundry ones. Uh, patron saints of fire prevention. Uh, patron saints of uh, sexually transmitted diseases. (laughs) Like, really, really obscure patron saints. But they've all, you know, they help people in in their times of need. So uh, what I'd love for you guys to do is go to Google, do that kind of search, see what you find. Because you may find just a little bit more insight into um, not just the Catholic faith, but the Catholic culture. Why that person's life was so symbolic that they needed to associate that with this act or this this theme just don't do air fresheners i've done it already fair enough eric sarray told you no such saint exists um also kind of disappointed there are no saint brian's not a single one not yet dude no i'm waiting for that first miracle (laughs) not gonna happen not gonna happen if you could make a ceiling suddenly appear i will write the pope i should be playing vegas if that's the case i should not be considered a saint (laughs) I think that's the opposite, Brian. (laughs) (laughs) I think going to Vegas and gambling is the opposite. No, 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 no. Playing Vegas as in like playing as a magician. Oh, Oh, got it. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I guess that joke was just, it flew over. A little Um, bit. bit. Sorry. I heard the whizzing noise. Okay. Uh, I thought it worked. But anyway, folks, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. And if you would like to follow us on a more regular basis, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Brian Moriarty. I'm at the Brickmont. And all of our plethora of content and social media connections can be found on our website at Neuronomy.com. So we encourage you to go there. And uh, also, you know, check out our donation page, check out our merch page, all that good stuff. There's all sorts of lovely buttons for you to press that do all sorts of fascinating things. So go go, go press them. Yes, indeed. Until next week, stay nerdy. And tune in next time, same nerd time, same nerd channel, Neuronomy.com. Bye-bye.
0: Another episode done, another bottle of wine emptied.
1: Yeah, I wish we had more. I mean, maybe we should run to the store. Nah, no, it's too late. They're probably closed at this point. Mm. Gosh. If only we could just have one more glass. That's all we'd need. Oh! Oh my god. It's full of
0: wine. That's miracle number one. My miracle, of course. Wait, How is it your
1: miracle? I'm the one who's Catholic. I'm the one who wished harder. Damn it. Haha. <laughs>